set up um, an election in my household to run for president of the house. My, my opponent was my mom, and the electorate was my brother, sister, and my dad. I made signs. I had a strong platform. It was vote for me, and everyone can have caffeine after 6 p.m., which was banned in my house. You couldn't have caffeine after 6, but I was going to open it up to all. I thought my speech was good. I thought my signs were well done. I thought my platform was good. I really thought I was going to win. I lost three to two. I voted for myself. And my mom, she came over to me afterwards and said, I voted for you too. <laughs> On further reflection, um, I think the other people in the house knew even if I won, I wasn't going to have any real power. That's something that had escaped my seven-year-old self, that even if I was elected president of my house, the parents were still in control. Well, today, we are going to see a group just as blind as I was of who has the real power. We're going to see one person that's reluctant to see who has the power and we're going to see another individual who knows who has the power to save. As we look at one of the most famous stories in the Bible, I hope we would come away from this passage seeing this. And if you're going to hear anything, please hear this message. The living God displays to the most hesitant that he has the power to save. The living God displays to the most hesitant that he has the power to save. We're going to read Daniel 6. We're going to read the whole thing. It is long, but it is very good. And I hope you'd pay attention as we read this narrative section of Daniel chapter 6. Maybe a message that you've heard many times, but maybe you haven't read and seen some things because you feel like you're so familiar with it. So please pay attention as we look at this passage together. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these officials, high officials and satraps, came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. 
Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The king stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, which much distressed, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own sinion and with the sinion of the, his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went to haste in the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, ha shall, be to know the, to, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reigns of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. 
We're just joining us. We've been going through the book of Daniel, and for the last 10 weeks, we've been through the familiar parts that we know of Daniel, the narrative parts, you know, the not eating the meat, eating just the vegetables, the interpretation of dreams, the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar becoming like a wild beast. And we're at the end of these narrative sections here in the book of uh, Daniel, in the lion's den is the last one until we move into the rest of the month and some part of January, the apocalyptic literature, which would be visions, angels, beasts, horns, wars, all that good apocalyptic stuff. But before we get to that, here we are, Daniel in the lion's den. We must remember, Israel is in exile. They have been sent away 500 miles northeast into the Babylonian Empire. And really this book is about what to do while in exile. It's very applicable to us. Peter in the New Testament calls us exiles as Christians. He even says that we live in Babylon, even though Babylon has been destroyed for a couple hundred years while he writes. And then Paul expounds on this. He calls us citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, that we belong to a different king. We belong to the king that will bring and usher in a new heavens and a new earth. So this idea of living in exile is even true for us because as Christians, our citizenship is with Christ, that he is our king, that he has ushered in a new kingdom but is not fully realized yet, only to be realized in his coming again. Well, in chapter 6, the scenery has changed. Maybe you think the exile would be get better with the Babylonians gone, Nebuchadnezzar and his son gone. Now the Persian Empire has put in, put in place. And the Persians like to give power back to the people that they control, letting them control over their local nations. And that's probably true that many of the Israelites, as we've seen in Ezra and Nehemiah, have returned back to Jerusalem under the Persian rule. But Daniel has stayed. And he has been elevated into a position And he's no longer a teenager here. Daniel is probably 70 to 80 years old, somewhere in that range. You would think at that age, things would slow down. The things that are hard to overcome would be done. But no, debate still rages, even in this new setting, in this new kingdom that rules over a large portion of the world. Who is the living God? Who is the true king? And we're going to see three characters wrestle with this idea of who is the living God. One, these leaders and officials who believe that their own kingdom is what the real kingdom is, and that is the real living God. This king, Darius, who is hesitant to pick sides of who the real God is. And then, Daniel the one who follows the kingdom of God. As we look at these three characters, let's find out where we might fall. Maybe in one category, maybe a little bit in all the categories is probably where we will find ourselves. So first, the satraps and the high officials. Again, the Persian Empire consists of two million square miles. It stretches all the way to the east to India, all the way to the west to Greece, all the way to the north into parts of Russia, 
all the way to the south into Egypt. It encapsulates half of the world population, the largest empire ever at that point in time. Again, the Persians like to divide the power. They get it to 120 of these satraps, these leaders. And above these 120 are three officials. And Daniel has been put as one of these higher officials. And because of his excellent spirit, as it says in the word, Darius has decided, I'm going to elevate him even more to be above all of that. Kind of the prime minister of all of the Persian Empire. Well, this is where the conspiracy and manipulation and lies and envy and all this political intrigue enters. If anyone has worked in politics, you realize politics, no one is really united at times. But here, all these high officials that have major responsibilities, they're united on one thing. They do not like Daniel. And so they're trying to find ways to entrap him. But they can find that he's not cooking the books. He's not having some illicit affair. There is no fault. So what are they to go after? And they say, well, you know what we should go after is the one thing that Daniel holds dear. His God and his God's law. This is a very interesting point. Point this out that following God, as Daniel does, is good for a foreign empire. In fact, Daniel following God in his law is the best for the welfare of the kingdom. Darius sees this. And the fact is, even Daniel's enemies, the satraps, see that this is true. That a man that follows God is one that does not have all these bad things against the empire, cooking the books, affairs, or whatever it might be. So they have to find something different to entrap him. So they come up with this plan. And the plan is this. They decide they're going to butter up their king. Right? So they decide, oh king, let's make this for 30 days that no one can worship, pray to anyone else but you. And, of course, appealing maybe to his pride, he says, okay, that sounds like a great idea. And again, this is where lie one is entered into the, the situation. They say that all have agreed, right? Well, we know that's not true because Daniel is not there and he does not agree. And then they find this kind of loophole that they invoke the Persian law that says, okay, king, if you establish this, if you seal this, you say this is the way it is, it cannot be revoked. Well, the king agrees. And then some of the intrigue and spying begins. Daniel here on his roof, praying. They go to find out what he's actually doing. And they find that he's praying. And then they lie to the king again. You see this Daniel? He pays no attention to you. We know that's not true. Daniel serves the king. He cares for the king. But again, they lie. See, for the satraps... Power was tied to this king and that kingdom. And Daniel and his God were a threat to them. One theologian says this about this passage. Opposition to God can never be consistently honest. There always is an element of deceit 
because it is based on self-deceit. The very deceit that is a kingdom is greater than God's kingdom. So because these satraps disagree with God and his kingdom, it makes sense that manipulation and lies and deceit are a part of their plans. P.T. Barnum, one of the greatest showmen, right, of American history in the 19th century, the one that founded the Barnum Circus, who was much after, as you maybe seen the movie The Greatest Showman, fame and money, he started his first circus act by this. It was against the law in the north to have slaves, but he went around that law and leased an African-American. And he went around city to city with this woman, parading her as George Washington's nurse. And she was 160 years old. He sold tickets as he leased this woman. And to raise up more and more kind of a fame towards himself. When people maybe disagreed with her age, he paraded a lie that said this. That she was actually a machine. How people believe that, I did not know. But then... He would again sell tickets for people to see her. And when she died, he had a public autopsy for people to buy tickets and watch her to see if she really was a machine or not. You think that is so extreme, right? Well, that's the kind of extremism we see in this passage. To feed your opposition to the lions. I wonder, what things do we say like the satraps live forever? What kingdoms do we follow? And what kingdoms do we try to hold on to? We try to the extremes to preserve that even we will have deceit to keep them together. A peaceful neighborhood. Our children's advancement. Other hobbies that we might elevate to idols. What deceit might we go to when someone moves into the neighborhood that threatens our own peace? Maybe our gossip to our neighbors about who they are. Or maybe ways that we try to belittle them or get them away from our neighborhood. Or what extremes and deceit do we go to for any teacher or child that gets in the way of our child's flourishing? How we might tear them apart in our words and what we say about them to others. Or what what we might do to get them away What extremes or deceit do we have when friends might challenge us of our idols? Our hobbies that we elevate to the greatest degree. What we might say to our spouse when they challenge us with the things that we hold so dearly, a kingdom we think is our living God. 
When we look at at these things, the satrap's scheming doesn't sound so far-fetched. We war against the living God and His kingdom. What about this next character, Darius? Now, I know this story is very familiar to many of us through Veggie Tales, Sunday School, the Dare to be a Daniel. And many times, because of this kind of understanding in our past, we like to put ourselves in Daniel's place, right? That's who we are, Daniel. Truthfully, who Daniel is writing to in the audience, again, is the Israelites that have returned back to Jerusalem and are in exile and are fearful of the nations that are around them, that they might attack them, that their kingdoms are more powerful. And the questions that Darius raises are really the questions that the Israelites, the audience, are asking themselves. Can God deliver? Is he the living God? You might not see this because we, we haven't read it. We just know the story. But there is a great literary genius in chapter 6. The genius is the humor for those that read chapter 6 that you might not have seen. And in the humor, as people look at specifically Darius this powerful emperor, and you kind of laugh at him. In the laughing at him, it then turns back on themselves, the readers, or ourselves, to go, wait a second. That might be how I am. So the humor is, right, Darius is this great king over this amazing empire, right? He's so powerful, but he's tricked by his officials, duped by his own pride. You can see this maybe as a parent when one of your kids comes to you and maybe puffs you up and in that then talks badly about their siblings, right? And you're like, oh wait, I like this child. They're probably right. So I'll be, be mean to the other one or punishment towards that person. Surely that never happens in my household. That's what they've done. And what's crazy is, as much as they then elevate Darius to this godlike status, he then doesn't even have the power to get around the edict that he had just decreed. Which makes it just hilarious that here this great emperor that everyone is worshiping, basically, for 30 days, can't even reverse what he just said. So much for his kind of power. And then you see he's distressed, right? He stays up at night. He tries to save Daniel, all these things. You know, I, when I read this, I feel like, I, it's kind of, I would call it the Indiana Jones friendship paradigm. You know those movie Indiana Jones movies? At the beginning of the movies of Indiana Jones, you see people that help Indiana Jones go and find the treasure, right? And you don't know if they're good or bad, or you maybe have some suspicions. But then when the treasure is found, you realize they really don't care about Indiana Jones. They just care about the treasure themselves. And they lead Indiana Jones to be trapped, right? And then they go off on their own. It's that kind of thing. Right? As much as these um, 
uh, uh, Darius says, I care for Daniel. I love him. When it's really on the line, he doesn't care that much. Right? It's humorous that it says that while Daniel is in at nighttime in um, the den of lions, here is Darius, right? He's given up his entertainment, right? The actual, <laughs> the writing is probably he gave up his concubines that night, right? He can't sleep. He's distressed. Oh, poor Darius. As Daniel sleeps with lions, he can't sleep with his concubines. See, the humor here is this. And it's sad as you read it. That Darius is hesitant. Hesitant to put anything on the line for Daniel and his God. If he really wants to weigh it, God doesn't have the power against his Persian empire, against political rulers. And you see this. This is kind of the greatest tension in this passage in verse 20. When you wonder what's going to happen, this is where it builds, right? Is to this question. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? That is the question. And Darius does not go far enough to believe that God is because he doesn't put himself on the line. Is that a question that you ask? Are you able, God? Or do we hedge our bets like Darius? Oh, I, I like what I see in Daniel, right? He cares for others, right? His goodness, his sacrifice, right? I'm intrigued by Daniel and what he follows. But can it save? Maybe you say this yourself. Maybe your friends or neighbors say this. Yeah, I, I appreciate your faith. I wish I could do what you do. I admire it. You're a nice person. But that's just not me. I just don't take it that seriously. I'm just not that religious. And what you might be saying, and what others are saying is, my kingdom is really too hard to give up. I'm not going to give up sleeping with this person because it brings meaning to my life. I'm not going to give up slaving after my job because it's going to pay me out at the end for peace and quiet and security and retirement and what I'm really longing for. When it is really on the line, do you think that God's kingdom is powerful enough to save? Well, 
Well, maybe you've gone through these two characters, the satraps and Darius, and you say, well, I'm not opposed to the kingdom. I'm not hesitant about God's kingdom. The character that I resonate with is Daniel. Right? It's my namesake, right? Of course I resonate with Daniel. Right? I mean, this is the hero to hold up in these cultural times. Dare to be a Daniel. Stick it to the man. Be bold and courageous. Stick it to the culture. And let's read about Daniel's action steps to go, how, go ahead and do that, right? If we want to do that, first we've got to see the difference between Meshach, um, Shadrach, and Abednego and how their situation is different than Daniel's. Remember, for them, um, they were forced publicly to bow down to a false idol. Here, it's not worshiping a false god, although you could if you want to worship Darius, but it's saying you can't worship anything but Darius for 30 days. And the thing is, who would know, right? Daniel could just pray in his head. But even in this situation, Daniel continues to do what he has always done. To pray three times a day to Jerusalem. Ultimately to God. This comes from 1 Kings 8. It's a Solomon's prayer. Where even in Solomon 8, it predicts the future exile of Israel. And what Solomon is doing, he's praying towards the temple to Jerusalem where the presence of God would come into the most holy of holies. not saying that God is not omnipresent in all places, but he would reveal himself in the holy of holies. And that's why they faced towards it. And here, Daniel, being in exile, his citizenship is elsewhere. It's not in Babylon or Persia, but his citizenship is with God. So he points his torch towards Jerusalem where God shows himself. It would be similar to maybe someone serving in the military that has pictures of their family in their locker or on their plane or wherever it might be. And as they are far away from home, they look to the picture of their family and say, my family is here. This is where my love is. And this is what the prayer that Daniel has. My citizenship is with you, God. Your kingdom. I'm longing for your presence in your counsel, in your wisdom, in your law to work, to be present in heaven as it is on earth. And even at the end of his life where Daniel should be thinking about retirement, Daniel doesn't stop. He finishes well. He continues to rely upon God, coming to him daily, praying, the saying, my strength comes from your kingdom. I'm wondering where the storming of the palace is in this chapter. Where is Daniel from boycotting Darius's superstore? Where does it show Daniel writes a scathing letter to the, about the satraps in the Persian times? No, instead, we get someone that prays. While Darius and the satraps are running around trying to find solutions to all these problems, Daniel is in his room praying. 
so very telling. So I don't get in trouble, I'll quote someone else other than myself. A stodgy, coat-and-tie-wearing, conservative Scottish Presbyterian, Sinclair Ferguson. And he might convict us. Would it make a difference if prayer were banned for the next 30 days? It is embarrassing and startling that there has been more vociferous protest about the denial of our right to pray in school than there has been prophetic protest about the deadly prayerlessness in our churches and in our homes. I will say that again. It is embarrassing and startling that there has been more vociferous protests about the denial of our right to pray in school than there has been prophetic protest about the deadly prayerlessness in our churches and in our homes. For many Christians, many, I'm not saying everyone, for many Christians in our current cultural times, we spend more time using the tools of the kingdom of this world, power, political maneuvering, manipulation, quarreling, physical fights, rather than the tools of the kingdom of God. Prayer, communion, the fellowship of the church. It should give us much pause that one of the greatest revolutionaries in the history of Christianity and the church is Daniel, who does what? He gets on his knees and prays. Church! Is that what you're spending your time doing? I wonder... Do you spend more time watching Fox News or praying? I wonder, do you read more of the Washington Post than you do of the Bible? I wonder if you spend more time talking to people about how you hate this politician or that politician rather than sharing how the politician that rules is Christ and his kingdom to your friends. Hear me, I, I am not trying to go after, I'm trying to just trust like we are in trouble. Myself too. That the ways to change the culture that we see in the book that people go to over and over again for what you should do in the culture, dare to be a Daniel, be courageous in all these things, is a picture of one that is on his knees praying to his God as he's obediently done in his whole life and he continues to do. Even when he is old. Hear me, and I know people saying, well, you say you don't care about politics, you don't care about public policy, you don't care about those things. Listen, I was in politics. I care about those things. I think they're important. Okay? 
And I think they sh we should have Christians in those places. But my question is, what tools are we actually using that God has given us to actually change the culture? Well, I would do a di great disservice if I said the major characters of this story are the satraps, Darius, or Daniel. Because the main character of this story is the living God. It is he who shuts the mouth of the lion. It is he that judges those that go against his kingdom. It is he that stops Darius in his hesitancy to make him see that there is a living God whose kingdom is forever. It is he who saves his servant. This whole narrative shows us a grander picture of the living God. And it points to something, not something ethereal, simply in heaven, but something that has come physical on this earth and dwelled among us. That the living God was also put on trial unjustly. That he was blameless in front of the ruling authorities. That he was in front of one that was hesitant and his name wasn't Darius, but Pontius Pilate. He was sealed by a rock to his death. But even greater, he was not res simply rescued by lions, but he was rescued from sin and death. Think of all these opportunities through history to those that are hesitant because of the kingdoms they see around them. To the Babylonian power, God showed he could deliver from the fiery furnace. From the Persian power, he showed he could deliver from the mouth of lions. From the Roman power, he showed he could deliver from the cross. Yet we still hesitate after seeing these three things through history about the kingdoms around us, can God save us? Christian, I want to give you some encouragement. The Spirit of the living Christ lives in you. You have been saved by the powers of this world. That you are citizens of His kingdom. And that neither death, nor life, nor anything else created on earth can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that should give us boldness. Boldness to realize that our security is not in our money. Your security is simply not in finding peace or finding security or comfort. Know that the kingdom of God is a living power that can rescue you from sin and death. And it is one that is everlasting. And if you have that kingdom inside of you, you can dare to be a Daniel. To love 
and sacrifice and care for those that are around you and to show forth God's kingdom forever and ever. Amen.